When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Tennis Direct are Australia's favourite online tennis store with fast delivery and great prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Just visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au and you can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. That's FIRSTSERVE10. Welcome to Aussies Only. The first serves deeper look inside the game at home, talking to those inside and outside the tram lines. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Aussies Only, brought to you by Latour Tennis. Head over to latourtennis.com to get your hands on the hottest tennis apparel in the game. Your host Jed Zetzer here, alongside my co-host Jake Eames, and I'm going to hand it straight over to my co-host to introduce. Our very special guest for today, his name is Benjamin Mitchell, and I'm looking forward to this edition of the show. Eamsy, bring him in. Yeah, he's a great mate of mine. He was bloody tough to play growing up as a junior. Um, he's had a you know, tremendous career, really. Uh, it always amazes me um, at, at such a young age. These athletes that go through so many experiences, so many highs and lows, um, and, and still so young, um, he's an amazing athlete, great player, and pumped to have you on board, Benjamin Mitchell, or just Mitch. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you going? Yeah, good, good. Pumped you to be here. Yeah, awesome, awesome to chat to you, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't, uh, I haven't discussed, um, you know, much of my career sort of to anyone, and I haven't actually really given it too much thought either, because you know, lots, lots is, lots of, lots has gone on since. So, um, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it. Ben, really appreciate you taking the time to come on, and absolutely looking forward to getting stuck in. Well, welcome to the show, mate. What was it like growing up in Queensland on the Gold Coast and how did you get into tennis? Uh, I got into tennis um, just I'm one of six. So my older brothers um, played tennis and I was on the court. I was crawling on the court whilst my older brothers would be be playing tennis. And um, yeah, basically, I think uh, my dad said I was hitting balls over the net by the age of two. Um, and yeah, we were, we were very, very, very active family. All of us were, were very good athletes, um, from a, from an early age and did lots of different sports, um, obviously including surf life saving because we lived quite close to the beach. So pretty, uh, lucky, lucky way, uh, to, to, to grow up on the Gold Coast. Yeah, mate. One of, one of six huge family. Um, and I remember you actually, when you were younger, coming down to, to tournaments in, in Melbourne and, and, and Sydney as well, long blonde hair. Um, and there's a few times we had the, the testing and you're lightning quick. And I remember you mentioning, you know, the little nippers. Was it a competitive family as well? Uh, it, it was uh, super competitive. I mean, I was probably the most competitive. 
Um, and it was easier for me because I was the youngest boy. Um, I was always a bit of a chirper and uh, they absolutely hated that. Um, so, yeah, it was a, we're all very competitive. I sort of just did what they did, but from a younger age. And because of how competitive uh, I was, I'd, I'd try and beat them even when I was, you know, 10 years younger than one of them. Then after grade nine, you had to make the call on what direction you were going, whether you were going to take your tennis to that next level and go all in or whether you would take it easy. You made the call to give it a proper go. And this included traveling three and a half hours a day on public transport five days a week for 40 weeks of the year tell us about the commitment and the sacrifices that you had to make that year to to give tennis your all uh yeah i mean i was i was really good at a young age i was training at cash hopper uh you know five six days a week at the age of nine um so i was just one behind bernard for a few years and then i was a really late uh developer so i stayed quite small and in the 14s and 16s i sort of um or especially the 14s i started getting beat by a lot of the guys that i used to beat and so at 14 i was at uh the, uh, the southport school one of the a uh, uh, really good private school on the gold coast i had a scholarship there and i kind of had the choice to keep that going but my tennis wasn't going too well um at the time and my parents just sort of said to me look you can either stay at tss and get this education in or you can uh play uh, up in brisbane uh with the national academy i think it was uh david hodge ben mathias and sean fife as the coaches and i sort of chose and i was just an associate so i was a sort of an, in, an invitee i wasn't on scholarship or anything i my results weren't uh weren't very crash hot at that point so i decided to leave school do homeschooling and yeah, it was um, it was traveling yeah three and a half hours a day, uh, five days a week, and my parents would drop me off at the train station at seven a.m. and then they'd pick me up at seven p.m. So it was yeah very long days for a um, you know fifteen year old. And uh, but that year I, I made some uh, really big gains and I ended up winning sixteen nationals at the end of the year. And then from that I got a wild card into Australian Junior Sport the following year. So that that decision in itself was um, you know probably the decision that I still even had a had a tennis career after that because I don't think uh I don't think I would have um progressed anywhere near as much as what I did if I didn't make that sacrifice. Yeah, and just just on that as well is a bit of an underlying belief there I guess in your ability in your game. You mentioned that you're you you developed a little bit later and a bit smaller. So you had that tough period but but during that you still made the call like no nah, I'm going to do it. So there was it just that underlying belief that like you know, you're going through a tough time, but, but you mm. know you had something special. Yeah, I think I think it was almost subconsciously I made that decision. It was kind of I'd, I'd always just sort of go with the flow, and um, since a young age, I, I wanted to be a tennis player, and um, I just when when I got asked that question, I think my parents were expecting me, and there was probably a bit of a nudge from them, no doubt, to um, go up and train in Brisbane because it was the right thing for my tennis and it, it would have just felt like a bit of a waste, the amounts that I'd trained, the amount that I put in just to sort of stay at school and go through the motions. So um, it was definitely a, a, a way to sort of back myself and um, not, not let the talent go to waste and not, not let the uh, sort of the athletic ability that I had go to waste as well. Then fast forward to 2010 Wimbledon, you got into the junior main draw through qualifying and mate, you made it all the way to the final. Can you Mm. tell us about that week and just how amazing it was for you and how you were able to go that deep through the draw from qualifying? Yeah, well, I actually, I'd only played, I think, four junior events that year and I was, (laughs) I think, number fourth seeds in qualifying. So I... 
my first tournament that year was uh, Tarragon, the, the um, lead up to the Australian Open. I was actually up 6-3-5-1-40-15 in the finals of that and lost, but I st- you know, still made the finals. I won the doubles with James Duckworth um, and then I lost in the quarterfinals of Aussie Open. Um, and then I played one more event. It was a grade one in Bangkok and I won singles and doubles for that one. Um, and so just through those lot of tournaments, I was, I was only four out of um, Wimbledon main draw. Uh, and the only reason um, I wasn't in Wimbledon main draw was because I refused to play one extra tournament in the Philippines. All I had to do was, all I had to do was win one round, um, one round of the next tournament. And I was in the main draw of Wimbledon, but I was so whipped on Isabel Holland at the time. I wanted to fly, <laughs> I, wa- I wanted, I wanted to fly back to Canberra and go see my girlfriend. So, um, I made it hard. I made it very hard on myself, um, but uh, also um, it was a cool. I think that's the reason I had the belief as well. I, I didn't really feel like a qualifier. I felt I felt like the best player there, even when I was in the qualifying. Yeah, you definitely definitely always had that ability to back yourself. You're a tough competitor. Just just on that, you lost to Martin Fuskovic in the final. Mm-hmm. Um, there are these statistics floating around as well about Grand Slam junior champions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or runners up that, you know, your percentage to, to make top hundred, if you've made a final or you've won one, it, it increases mm-hmm. dramatically. Um, yeah. How was that for you? Like in that time, positioning yourself in, in a spot where, um, you know, there's, there's a high percentage of players kicking on to top hundred and kind of reaching, I guess, those, those dreams that everyone is, is out to, out to get. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, uh, when I made the final, I was I was um, basically full stream ahead trying to make it after that, obviously. And I had I had the belief in me and, and Martin. I think it took him – I don't know what age he cracked the top 100, but I, I would probably say around the 24 mark. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it still takes a, a long time. And that's something that, um, yes, sometimes surprises me about Tennis Australia is the fact that a lot of these guys um, – Duckworth and, and Millmans and even Sam Gross to an extent, I'm not sure – the exact age that they cracked the top hundred, but it was it was definitely after the age of twenty three, um, mm-hmm. twenty four. So there's still a long way to go when you do make that final. And I think for me, maybe I was a bit um, uh, hard on myself in a way where I sort of expected to get this uh, a lot sooner than than uh, than sort of what what ended up happening. So yeah, Ben, is it difficult when you've got you know obviously the public and the media attention and everyone's sort of got eyes on you saying, you know, you're one of the most promising up-and-coming players with this extreme talent. Is that difficult sort of to comprehend and go out on the court with that in the back of your mind? I was sort of a little bit luckier where Instagram and all that wasn't much of a, wasn't as much of a thing. Um, Nowadays it would be, you know, even more highlighted. But yeah, it was more, I, I felt like I was sort of, I think I was ranked around 200 when I was 19 or something like that. Yeah, and it was more. Yep. I, I kind of wish I had have reflected a little bit more and actually thought about things and gone, "Hold on, I'm doing pretty well here." And but with sort of the way uh, Terry operated, and, and don't get me wrong, I, they did so much for me, and I'm so grateful for what they did. But it was very much, um, you know, you just had to, you just had to keep going forward. Whereas a, a, someone like me with my personality, I needed time with a family, I needed time to regroup, and and that time, uh, yeah, I wasn't. Uh, wasn't allowed that time, which I sort of felt a little bit burnt out at times. Um, and 
there were a lot of times which I don't even think people, you know, realize is, you know, my sister had leukemia. Um, I was really close with her. So she, she traveling away sort of seven months of the year and then being in Canberra, um, and only being able to see her, I don't know, a couple of times a year was, was really tough. Um, and just, just asking for, you know, little things like I remember finishing a training block in, in Canberra. I did a four and a half week, five week training block in Canberra. Um, and I, I was going to wait, I was going to go away for three months after this training block. And I asked, um, I asked the coach if I could go back to Brisbane for one week before, um, going overseas to see my sister who was, you know, struggling. And, um, and he just, just looked at me in the eyes and said no. And uh, I got to go home for one day and one night before my three-month trip. So those, those sort of things, I, looking back on, I, I can't really understand those decisions, but um, I'm not sort of here to, to, to rip on them. It's just, uh, you know, they were trying to get the – they were just looked at, looked at me as a bit of a sort of a, just a tennis player, I think, more so than a, than a human being. You know, everyone's got their KPIs and they need, you know – athletes to get to a level for themselves as well and for the federation and whatnot mm. so there's always that that tough that juggling point there and you know for for you you mentioned it before with ducks and a few of those other players at fuskovich as well like cracking the top 100 is there's a lot more time um beyond the junior career that mm. it takes to get there and you know the well-being of the players has got to start to become a little bit more of a you know, important factor um, because yeah, yeah. You know, you know for yourself that there's a lot of times where everything going else on in your life is going to affect how you play in the court. And I've, we've spoken to Dane Sweeney as well, mm-hmm. and he mentioned you know you know when he was acting out and and you know maybe doing some things that you know, weren't the best for his tennis. But a lot of times, mm. you know, he loves the game, he loves to compete, he wants to do well. But a lot of times, there's other factors that kind of influence you know what might be going on on the tour as well, you know? Mm, mm, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, it's very isolating for, um, you know, I remember being in South Korea by myself when I was 16 and traveling in those, in those, in those hotel rooms week after week. Um, a lot of the time by yourself coming from a big family, having family stuff going on back home. It's uh, you, 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 at the time you, you, you sort of think to yourself, why am I miserable? But you mm. just, you, you get taught to sort of push through it. And, um, yeah, there were definitely times I look back on. I wish I had taken a breath, gone back home, and um, chilled out for a little bit, rather than just you know, bang, 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 get back home. Coach is calling. We need to go to China now. Go back to training. Go here now. So um, that that side of things was was tough. Um, but uh, I think I, I started. I, I actually play. I easily played my best year of tennis when I was um, towards uh, when I was twenty two. Um, so that's you know four or five years after Wimbledon. Um, and yeah, I really felt like I started playing some, some really good ball towards the end of that year. And, um, uh, it just shows that you, you, your best tennis is, is yet to come. I think. Ben, we're going to get to that 2015 year cause it was a huge year for you, but just quickly, uh, you received a wild card into the 2012 Australian open main draw and just a teenager at the time. Do you remember when you were told that you were going to get that wild card? What was the feeling like knowing that? you know, you were going to make your Grand Slam debut. Yeah, I'll never forget it. I was in the, I was in the office in Canberra um, and Brent Larkham. I, I sort of had a – there wasn't – at the time, it, James and I had a very good idea that we were going to get it. We were, uh, you know, really good mates, travelled together and um, lived together in Canberra. And um, we had really good years. I think I finished, I don't know, around two two fifteen in the world. And James finished around the same same ranking and – 
um, it was pretty clear that we were going to get them. But we we sort of uh, there were still other players that, that may have got one ahead of me. Um, so to hear those words come out of Brent's mouth, it was it was quite surreal um, and also quite nerve wracking uh, as well. I was, I was I was extremely nervous. Yeah, you drew John Isner there, mate, and uh, mm-hmm. you put up a pretty respectable performance actually four six four six six seven. Mm. Um, which is kind of what you'd expect, I guess, against Isner. Huge yep. serve. Um, mm-hmm. You've got great returns too. So how'd you see that matchup going to that ladder? Uh, um, well, the week before, I played the Sydney International and I beat uh, Kukushkin um, in straight sets and I beat Leonardo Mayer in straight sets. And they were both top 100 players and I didn't lose serve against either of them. So I was... Um, I was feeling good within my game and it was probably, it was a good matchup for me. I think if I had have uh, played the way I did against uh, Leonardo Mayer and Kukushkin, I actually think I would have won because John Isner was really nervous. I remember he had a testy, he had a testy blowout at the coin toss when he got asked whether he'd like to serve or receive. <laughs> um, and, you know, for him, for him, it was, it was, he was versing a wild card um, from Australia and I think it was maybe his first match of the year or second match of the year or something like that. So um, I wish I had have recognised that a little bit more and actually thought to myself, I thought I, I, I was trying to get through the match without sort of being embarrassed, which is, was such a silly way to, to go for it. But that's the sort of the anxiety that the players can go through and the negativity that you can uh, sort of think about. And I was, um, that's what I was thinking about, to be honest. It wasn't so much trying to win the match and and mm. the crazy thing is I think if I played my tennis and played didn't have that mindset I actually think I could have won that match so I did actually, yeah. I, was, I was actually up 4-1 in the second set so just uh and then when I got up 4-1 I didn't know what to do because I was just expecting just to not not fool myself out there not not to make a fool of myself yeah it's, it's crazy I mean it's obviously very difficult to to deal with that on court I mean it's crazy um the amount of pressure on on players later that year you won the Australian Open wildcard playoff and mate you must have been at an extreme level of fitness at that point in your career because so there was a rain delay on the Friday so you had to play a semi-final on the Saturday can you tell us about that weekend? You won in five sets against Matthew Barton on the Saturday, which <laughs> finished in the late afternoon. And then mm. you've gone and backed it up. You've won the final on Sunday. You know, you had to get up and play in the morning. Yeah. How were you able to do that, mate? What's like, how did you get to that level of fitness? Um, yeah, well, I think uh, one thing that was probably not talked about, everyone, a lot of the coaches and, and even probably the players just thought of me as, you know, someone who's extremely gifted um, athletically, but there is so much work that goes in behind it. I'm, I'm very fast. I'll always be fast twitched. That came naturally to me, but having that fitness um, along with that speed is actually something that's really difficult. Um, and I just, yeah, it, it's frustrated me a lot of the time when it just got brushed aside, um, you know, my, my fitness levels at that point, because um, yeah, I, I worked extremely hard that year. I, I had a really tough first six, seven months. Um, I lost, I think, seven or eight first rounds in a row at Challenges overseas. I tried playing on the clay and then a few in, in America. Um, and yeah, I just lost a lot of tight matches. And, and I remember Ben Mathias was coaching me. And um, after every single loss, he'd get me out on the treadmill and I'd have to get under. I remember the time, but the time was quite good. Um, I had to do a 5K run every time I lost. And, um, and just, yeah, my fitness, my fitness throughout that year, what basically Matthias did was every time I'd lose, he'd work me harder and I was losing a lot. So I ended up getting really fit. Um, uh, and yeah, it actually paid off towards the end of the year because, 
um, obviously playing that playoff. And, um, yeah, look, I, I beat Matty Barton 9-7 um, in the fifth set. And he, he was down two sets of love in that. I was, I was up two sets of love and he clawed his way back with some of the biggest serves and the biggest forehands I've seen. Um, and, yeah, ended up being a, a five-setter. And um, I remember waking up Sunday morning very sore. And, you know, because there's obviously I was playing from the, I was playing five setters from, from the start of the week. And, um, and yeah, I, I didn't think, I, I, I really didn't think I was going to be able to get through it. But that fitness that I did all year um, obviously just paid off in the end. And um, I ended up beating Matty Reid in a, I think it was 6 4 in the fourth set. Um, and yeah, I was exhausted. And I think there's a, um, there's a clip of me uh, when I hit that backhand cross um, winner to, to win the match. Um, it was just a full-on relief, and, a, and, a, and a, it was almost like a scream of agony um, when I won that when I won that playoff. It was just um, relief uh, and excitement, and yeah, just a, a, a moment where um, hard work uh, truly pays off. Yeah, it's one of those things where you a bit of relief, from physical and mental, from the actual competition itself. But then you know there's yeah. a you know big reward coming up soon. Um, just yeah. quickly as well, before we go on to um, the main draw of the Open mm-hmm. January the next year, is uh, mm. you always seem to do quite well in Australia. You've, mm-hmm. you've done well in some challenges and obviously you, you won those playoffs. Was it con- the conditions or just a little bit of, uh, you know, a bit of a mental edge over the Aussies? What was the factors there? Uh, I, I love us. I mean, I love Australia. Um, First of all, you know, I feel comfortable whether I'm in Kalgoorlie, Canberra, Darwin. It doesn't really matter. I just, I love Australia. I love my country. Um, and then also, you know, I, I think it was just a bit of a psychological thing where I felt clo- closer to home. I felt mm-hmm. like I was home no matter where I was. Um, and usually when you're in Australia, you're surrounded with your mates. And when you're surrounded with your mates, you're happier in general. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I was, um, when I was happy, I, I didn't really have the have much anxiety on court or for those nerves or anything like that I, I could play freely and um yeah I just I felt really good at home um and most a, a lot of sports uh most sports really um you're constantly playing in your, in your own nation so um uh, yeah I guess that was one of my one of my weaknesses was um was playing sort of away from home out of Australia and that's something that you you need to be able to do to to be a tennis player well mate talking about being surrounded by your mates 2013 Australian Open. Um, I was in the crowd for this one. You took on one of your good mates, James Duckworth, in the first round. Mm. You were two sets to love down and you came back and took it to five. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, went down 8-6 mm. in the fifth, but what a crazy match. How, how crazy was that whole experience, the atmosphere? It was one of the most electric crowds that I've sat in at the Oz Open. Yeah, it was really surreal. Obviously, James and I um, travelled together. We played against each other through the juniors, so we knew each other's games better than anyone. Um, and coincidentally, my game style, he hated my game style and I hated his game style. So, you know, the, you know he'd, he'd serve big and he'd, he'd, he'd chip the ball around. He had great hands and he'd make it ugly for his opposition and um, you know, that's what he did for me. And for me, I returned well. So I sort of um, was able to get his serve back more than others and give him less free points than what he'd usually get, get against other opposition. So we knew each other's games. We hated the way each other played. Um, and I knew, I sort of knew it was going to be a, a tough match. But, um, you know, I, I thought I was going to win that one. Um, the the one leading, it was, it was so weird because I was, I was playing so well. And the, and the week leading up to... Um, that 
that match, I, I actually went to my brother's wedding the week before and I got, I got sloshed. Um, but, um, but it, it was, it was just, it was just a, a, the, the week leading up to, I was playing good tennis and, um, you know, it was, I, I went to my brother's wedding and, um, you know, that was still, I don't know, it was still, I think nine days before, before the, before the match. So, um, there was no hangover or anything like that. I, it just, I had a, I had a terrible practice week leading up to it. And I was, I remember breaking a racket and I never do that. I know I very, very rarely break rackets and I, I broke a racket in practice and I'm looking at Ben Mathias. I'm thinking, what, what is going on? You know? Um, and he's like, you know, I think you're just a bit edgy. You know, you're playing James. I said, yeah, you're probably right. And, um, I went out there and I, I was sort of playing how I was practicing that week. And then I ended up losing that second set crucial tiebreaker to go down two sets to love. Um, and all I thought to myself was just, just keep fighting, just keep hanging in there. I, I thought I'd just keep getting better as the match went on and I did. And, uh, yeah, I think it was a hot, it was a really hot day as well. Um, and I ended up getting, I was down four, one in the fifth. I got it back to four all break point. Um, and this is probably the only, one of the only points I remember from the match Four all break point. He misses a first serve. He hit something like 30, 30 plus aces that match, I think. And I got a, just a normal backhand, um, which I would hit in 99 times out of a hundred. And I just, I remember as soon as I hit it, I wanted to grab the ball and take it back straight away because I knew it was floating long. And that was a that was a chance. So that was the the break that would have got me to five four surfing it out. But it was it was yeah. The, the whole match was very surreal because you're playing a, a mate, um, and you know it's at the Australian Open that you both dreamt of playing and you both thought about when you when we were playing each other in the twelves at Mildura Nationals. You know, so um, it was a, it was a. I, I'm glad that it, that happened because it was an experience I'll never forget and probably an experience that uh, James will never forget as well. Nuts, really, when you when you. Th- I guess reflect back on that moment and, and willing yourself on there, and, and it comes down to like you said, maybe even one shot. Mm, um, mm. There was, I'm not 100 percent sure about this, but uh, was there other dynamics as well going on for that match? You know, I think you shared a coach at the time potentially, and I know were, yeah. you, were you rooming together as well? We, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, actually, a few things. We were rooming together. We had the same sponsorship by Adidas, so we were wearing the same clothes. So we actually had to text. We had to text each other. And tell each other to wear the opposite because we got two sets of clothes from Adidas, and so we had to say you wear the, you wear the grey shirt and I'll wear the white shirt, mm. and um, which before the match, so we weren't wearing the same thing, um, and yeah, so the, and yeah, so rooming together, wearing the same clothes, um, we had a you know similar um, sponsor, same sponsorship, um, and I'm just trying to think if we had the same coach. I think. Um, Obviously, I think he, we both worked with Brent Larkham. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I would, I, I would have, yeah, I think Brent would have given him a few tips, that's for sure. Cause I think Ben Mathias was in my box at that time. Ben, mentally, how do you deal with a match like that? It must be extremely difficult to just sort of deal with the loss and move on. How mentally tough mm. is it competing at the level? And I mean, how do you get over those mental demons? My way, I've always dealt with things different to everyone. It's probably not the right way to deal with them, but I just try and not think about it. So um, I remember I actually changed coaches um, to Grant Doyle and I went down to work in Melbourne after this match. And he told me to go and watch the match and, and um, tell you know, sort of come back and tell him what I what I could have done better. And there was just no way I was watching that match again. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't do it to myself. Um, so I kind of just put it, put it in the bag and just sort of tried forgetting about it and, and remember some of the good parts and, um, and just work on things in practice that I, that I know I needed to work on. 
Um, and Grant, Grant and I, yeah, when, when that change happened, I think I was a bit more mentally fatigued than, than what I um, probably wasn't uh, self-aware enough of where I was at. And, you know, as, as I said before with, with TA, they, they definitely, you know, want results and they want things to, to happen quite quickly. And um, uh, having a rest isn't much of an option usually. Um, so which, which again, it's not, um, it's not a thing. I think it's just a thing that maybe they can be aware of according to, to which players they think they need, um, a bit more rest and maybe the players that struggle a little bit traveling, need a little bit more time at home, um, something like that. But, uh, yeah, I went to Melbourne and I, tr- and I ended up, um, getting coached by Grant Doyle with, with Luke Saville and yeah, for whatever, nothing, nothing to do with Grant at all. We just didn't click. Um, and I lost uh, a lot of confidence in my game after that um, Aussie Open match um, against James. And um, it was, uh, I played, I think, my first tournament after it. Oh, one of the first few tournaments afterwards was um, a future in Melbourne. And mm. I actually ended up playing Duckworth. Played Ducks same, again, yeah. Played Ducks again. Um, and it was at a future, it was at Melbourne Park. So instead of playing the Australian Open main draw, Ducks and I, a month later, are playing um a second round future um and i remember the round before i beat jack Shapansky. Uh, i think it was something like six four in the third and i i, I just i cannot I, i've cannot describe to you how badly i was hitting the tennis ball you know and it, it just was in my head and i and i, I every single shot I'm, I'm talking serve forehand backhand every even my movement it's crazy what anxiety can do and crazy what overthinking can do and um, I remember walking out of the court against James and I was so nervous because I knew that I was playing poorly. I knew I was overthinking. I knew. And then I was anxious. And he was actually up six love, four love. And all I was thinking of six love, four love is you can't lose six love, six love. Like you just can't. Mm. This cannot happen. This cannot happen. This cannot happen. And, um, and I, I, I still remember the feeling I had on that court, had on the court that day because I've, I've had it before, uh, before that and I've had it after that. But this was, this was extreme extreme anxiety um that i that i was feeling and um and yeah i remember sort of coming off the court and and just you know just feeling empty and feeling just not knowing you know what's happening with my tennis and um yeah feeling horrible about things and um to make things worse scott draper um uh called me in for a meeting the next day and um brings me in and and he basically just tried telling me that i tanked the match and um, you know, you can ask James and, and I mean, I know within myself what happened out there and it just, it, it really sucks to hear someone tell you what you did and them not even listen to mm. how you felt or what you were doing or it was literally, they, they couldn't have been a more opposite to a tank. It was the, it was the other way. It was so uptight and so nervous mm. and so there was so much anxiety. I couldn't make a ball. I, I could barely move. Um, and then to get to get my scholarship taken off me because of that, um, that that really uh, that that stung me because um, you know I think he put in one in in, a, in an email chronic chronic poor attitude and he'd seen me work for a month in Melbourne and you know in December I just won a five setter at five thirty in the afternoon and then won a four setter at midday the next day with putting in all that hard work um, and to have that thrown in my face. That was, um, that was a, a, a real kick in the guts, to be honest with you. Uh, it's unfortunate to, to hear these types of stories. And we've spoken to a few other players, I guess, that 
have, have felt the same and you know it's a little bit disgraceful in a way but um yeah. is you you kind of realize the anxieties that you're feeling and you know there are other players out there when i was playing as well i definitely felt it but you kind of bottle it up and you don't you yeah 100 you, you don't you don't know where to go you don't know who to tell you don't know mm-hmm. you don't know because at the same time you're trying to uphold this confidence and you're trying 100%. to make you may try to make other people believe in you did you feel like that as well a little bit yeah it wasn't so much about making other people believe in me it was just i think it was just um it was hard to I, I don't think I don't even know at the time if I knew it was anxiety. Mm. So it's hard to know what it when you're out there and you're feeling it and you don't really know exactly what it is. You know you're just overthinking and you're uptight and you're so you just try and keep it together as best you can. And and then I think what and what end up what ends up happening is you you actually lose a bit of your personality because you're just mm. so used to bottling in your emotions every single day when you when you just need to you either take a break or, or let or let it out or talk to someone about it and you just don't really yeah you like you said you bottle it up and you you don't really know how to handle it um mm. yeah that's that's probably the best way to, to, would, to put would it you, would you say that i guess the anxiety um and the feelings i guess would have you drawn more clarity on that experience like with reflection you know back on with, those yeah. times yeah with with reflection um it it sort of got to a point where I was able to manage it quite well um, to later on when I was, um, you know, after these experiences, I ended up playing the best tennis in my career. So I was able to, um, I was able to manage it as best I could. But in saying that it was still, there was, if you probably from the outside looking in, I'd play a really good match and win potentially three and two or something like that. And I can tell you on the inside, I was, I was burning, you know, I was, I was hurting. I was feeling the, the pinch and I'd come off court and it was, it just, it sort of started feeling a bit more after each, each victory, it was more relief than anything else mm. um, to get off court. And then, um, yeah. Uh, so you just, you, you, you deal with it. You, you try and deal with it a little bit better and, um, you know, do, do little things like taking deep breaths. And since I've, since I've stopped playing tennis, I actually, and begin to sort of try and try and do meditation as much as I possibly can because I think it's such an important tool to use. Um, and yeah, I would, I would love for the um, kids coming up um, with with Tennis Australia to be doing as much meditation and as much yoga as um, as what they do on uh, you know lifting weights or on court. Ben, do you think there's enough support mentally for players on the tour? I mean, obviously, anxiety is something that flares at different times and. For you, I mean, it was obviously very difficult to deal with at times on court. Do you feel that there's enough support for players and enough options to deal with to deal with that? I think um, I think it needs to come. I think the the coaches probably need to be more aware of it more than anything else because they're the ones who are spending the most amount of time with the players. Um, so you can, you know, I was lucky enough where I did have sports psychs, and they they you know helped me as much as they could and. Um, you know, I got prescribed uh, by two separate ones, uh, two separate sports psychs. One of them prescribed me with anti-anxiety um, tablets, and the other one prescribed me with anti-depression tablets. And um, and the the craziest thing about that is there was never a follow-up, or so much as to from from a coach's side, it, there was it was never um, how are you going? Or I, I would have, yeah, I think I think it needs it, it's probably not enough for. Um, someone to get prescribed something um, and then not to be much of a follow-up after that. I think the coaches probably need to be made aware of what's going on um, so that they can help you um, get through that and, and maybe understand you a little bit more as a person. 
Yeah, it's, it's a great point there. And, and you know, tennis is, I guess, we've got to realise as well that we're super lucky to have, you know, some of these, you know, I guess, great athletes involved in the sport because a lot of good athletes, you know, they get dragged to AFL and rugby and, mm-hmm. you know, and even the girls now they're playing AFL and, and rugby as well. So it's, yep. there's a lot of competition between sports. So we really got to, I guess, nurture the, the players that we're lucky to have dedicate yep. themselves to the sport from, you know, like you said, two years of age, you're on court. Yeah. Yep. Um, great to see you, you got to manage that better. And in 2015, um, you really started to hit some, some good form. You won your maiden, maiden challenger title on Canberra, defeated mm-hmm. another good mate of yours, uh, Luke Saville. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that week for you and, and getting that breakthrough title? Yeah, it was crazy, crazy week. Um, I remember I was playing, I was really playing some good ball that sort of end of that last six months, the six months of that year. I actually remember it was quite, obviously my partner at the time um, had fallen pregnant. So I knew I was having a kid towards the end of the year. Um, And I was, it was, it was a bit more of a, well, look, like I, I was, I was kind of on the, on the brink of, look if if i'm having a kid i'm probably not going to play anymore to be honest like it's i'm not going to be grinding away futures in you know whoop whoop or playing challenges in china like it's just it's i know i'm not going to be able to do that so i kind of let go a little bit um but i also had that determination where i wanted to make you know my uh future daughter proud so it was letting it was a, it was kind of a right uh, a, a pretty cool combination to let go but also have that determination um mm. to do well um, and I remember training in Brisbane and I was seeing the ball like an absolute watermelon. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Just something clicked. And I went over to Bangkok, um, to play a challenger and I drew the number one seed first round, uh, Tatsamo Ito, Ito, I think his name yeah. is. Um, he was number 99 in the world at that time. And, uh, I remember playing Gav Van Pepperzeel who hate me saying this. Um, but I, um, beat him six love, six love. Um, in the practice set leading up to um, my match. And I just, honestly, I, I couldn't miss a ball when I was creaming the ball. I was playing so well. And I ended up that night, I got the, um, I got body aches and I, I woke up with a cold and I had a really bad wisdom tooth coming through. Um, and I was like, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to be sick for this tournament. I'm, I'm playing too good. I'm, I know I'm going to beat Ito. And then that will open up my draw. I was just like, uh, yeah, I was just, so I ended up going to the hospital um, on the Monday. I was playing on the Tuesday. I went to the hospital in Bangkok, had no idea what I was going, where I was going, what I was doing. But I just said to them, look, I need this tooth taken out because I thought the tooth was the problem. So I went to the hospital. I said, can someone take my wisdom tooth out? And they said, yep, come in here. So I went into this room and these three um, uh, Thai ladies were in there and, and they're taking my wisdom tooth out. And I'm moaning. I'm you know, in a lot of pain, it's a painful process. And I could feel them yanking at my drawer and I'm going, and they're laughing at me. Like they're laughing at me. I don't know whether they, they, I don't know what they found funny, but I was like, Oh my God, this is the most painful thing I've ever done. They take my tooth out. And the next day I was still sick. I took some painkillers and I ended up beating uh, Ito seven, five in the third set. And the best part about it was he collapsed at the end of the match um, in cramps. So I got through, it was pretty cool to beat someone in the top 100 after getting my wisdom tooth yanked out the day before. Um, but, yeah, that was just uh, sort of how, how – and then I ended up having to go home and I was sick for two and a half weeks after that. Um, but, yeah, towards, towards the end of that year, 
um, I went to uh, Canberra and, and uh, it was it was a bit of a euphoric feeling going back and staying at the AAS, which I'd spent mm. so much time doing and spent so much, um, uh, so many memories, so much hard work there. Um, and yeah, once I, I beat Maddie Ebden in the in the second round, um, I really felt like I could win it and um, played some really good tennis that week. Um, and then following that week, I, I was entered and I was actually entered in the future, um, which I didn't exactly want to play after winning a challenger um but uh i remember speaking to brent larkham at the time and, and he's like oh mate just go there and play it and set a goal for yourself and he said go there and don't lose a set and so i went there and i didn't lose a set which was um a cool incident it's i don't you know no matter how good you are to to not to uh, have that as a goal um for the tournament oh, okay. was um was a cool thing to cool thing to accomplish cool thing to accomplish when you know you've you've just come off the back of a, a challenger win yeah, absolutely. It's you know, I mean, you were in outstanding form at that point in time, and you went into the Australian Open Wild Card playoff in great form. You've made it through to the final. You do, you're mm-hmm. due to play Ducks again. Bloody Ducks! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, far out. I know, right? Can you tell us about that match? You had to pull out before um, for the birth of your baby girl. Tell mm. us about that decision, and did you even think twice about it? <laughs> Uh, so we knew the due date was around finals day, but you know, the chances of it being on finals day, um, pretty slim. Um, yeah, I actually spoke to ducks. We were rooming together again. And, um, and he said, we both were in the semifinals. He was playing Rinko and I was playing Brad Mousy and Brad Mousy that week was seriously top hundred level of, of, he, he was playing some serious, he beat Jordan Thompson in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Um, it was it was hot weather and he was just hitting it big, serving big, big forehands. He was even creaming his backhand. Um, and uh, we, were, we were sitting down at dinner the night before we had our semis and James said to me, look, I know your situation. Um, and if Lois goes into labour um, and we both, after we win our semifinals, um, I'll pull out for you because he knew he was going to get a wild card anyway. He was going to get, you know, he was he was basically just playing the playoff just to tick the box and get the wild card. Um, so he knew he was getting one. Um, and I was like, okay. So he won and then I ended up winning. And the next day, it was on a Saturday, and I get a message um, from Lois being like, oh, look, I think I'm going to labour. I'm just thinking, oh, my God, you're kidding. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was, yeah, it was the, to answer your question, of it definitely it was a, it was a tough decision you know because you in one point you want to be there for the birth um but in, in another point you want to make that sixty thousand dollars you know the minimum sixty thousand dollars um if you win that match so um which then provides for your child um so it, it was a tricky decision but at the end of the day um i'm um, very happy with the decision that i made and it was actually a really crazy story um so I ended up going to the airport um, and I remember just packing my bags, looking at James. We both just kind of smiled at each other. It was just so bizarre. He was uh, Anyway, so I get to the airport and there's been three flight cancellations and the line is out the door and I hadn't booked a flight and my mum was a flight attendant so she was trying to get me on staff travel. But when you're on staff travel, if the flight's full, you're no chance. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm standing there stranded and I swear that just this angel came, came across. It was a, it was a red nut. Red nut flight attendant from Jetstar and he comes up to me and he goes, excuse me, what do you need help with? You could see I was distressed and I was like, I need to get on this flight. My mum's put me on standby. 
the lines are too long. I'm not going to make the flight. I've gone up to the desk. They told me to go to the back of the line, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, come with me. And he puts me straight to the front of the line. He puts my bags on the carousel, gives me a ticket. I go straight up to the gate, straight on. It was the last flight out. I ended up getting into Brisbane, I think, 10.30 p.m. And, um, and that was a, otherwise I probably would have missed uh, the berth if I didn't make that flight. So um, that was a, a very bizarre moment for me. And uh, I don't know who the guy was, but I thank him very much. A wild experience, mate. And, and yeah. awesome that you got there to make it on time. And obviously we, we, we keep in touch as much as we can, I guess, living yeah. in separate states. But, um, yeah. you know, you're an amazing dad and I always see you hanging out with your kids and gee, some of the stuff looks, looks pretty funny. You look like you're having just as much fun as she is. Um, but you, you did make the decision to, to retire and, and obviously mm-hmm. being there for Zara is, is a, is a massive um, factor in that. Can mm-hmm. you tell us how you came to that decision? Um, I mean, it was just, uh, I, I was obviously kept playing because I was in a good position. I think I was, I was around a career high ranking at the time and I had no points to defend. I had about, I think, four or five months of, of no points to defend. So it was a really good opportunity for me to, you know, uh, have a really good dig at, at um, you know, making the top 100. And um, I just, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy because I, I was playing well, but uh, after a couple, I was still, I think I was going quarters, made a quarter and a semi of a challenger um, earlier in the year. And, um, and it just got to the point that when I was traveling, um, I just felt quite unsettled and, um, I sort of just had this feeling of wanting to be there for Zara as much as I could. Um, Lois was quite young at the time and, um, yeah, I just, it, it, it added a, a fair bit of, uh, anxiety, which I already had, um, enough to deal with, um, anxiety wise on court. Um, so that was that was probably just the, the the bit of a turning point when I was traveling and I was away. I had to only be away for you know maximum sort of two weeks, maybe three weeks, and then fly back home. And it just sort of um, it it's it's basically impossible um, to do. Um, that's probably the best way I can put it. I'm, I'm not Roger Federer. We can have four nannies, um, you know, rolling around, and uh, it was just a, a quite a tough uh, process. And it, I think you kind of have to make the decision. You're either going to be a tennis player or you're going to be a dad. Um, you can't really go 50% player, 50% dad. It just doesn't really work. Um, so that was, that was, the, I think I stopped playing um, eight months, eight, eight months after she was, she was born. So um, it's a, it's a, it's, I've, I've been asked the question of, you know, what, do you think you'd still be playing now if, if, if um, you know, I got asked that from one of the, the boys I coach, actually, do you think you'd still be playing now um, if, if um, you know, you didn't have Zara somewhere else? So I haven't really thought about it. It's not something I, I really do think about um, that much because um, everything, I just feel like everything sort of happens for a reason and mm. um, she's been a, a massive blessing for me. And the, the biggest thing that I pride myself in now is being a good dad. And um, uh, I think that's probably... Uh, you know, that's that's kind of at the end of the day what we're here to do is um, recreate and and um, and and have kids and and uh, be a good dad. I think Ben, you're obviously good with kids, and you slowly made the transition to coaching post playing. Mm-hmm. What role are you currently in, and how much do you love coaching tennis? It's uh, I I'm coaching at Brisbane Boys College. Um, it's a a really good tennis school in Brisbane. 
Um, and to start off with, it was just to, you know, pay the bills. And now I really like the mentoring side of tennis coaching. So taking these boys away to tournaments or taking them away on a, a weekly camp um, down on the Gold Coast or something like that is something that I, I actually really uh, enjoy because I think back to the things that I would have liked as a player sort of growing up and I try and implement those things and talk to them about life in general and, and see how they're going. And a lot of some of them are boarding at, at Brisbane Boys College. So some of them may, maybe don't see their parents that much. So it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool feeling to, to mentor some of these guys and um, see their progress, not just as tennis players, but um, as people as well is probably the, the thing that I like the most because it's, it's a, it's 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 the most rewarding most rewarding thing if you're just out there to make um, dollar bills, which obviously you have to make, but um, you have to have a purpose, and I think that's that's more of um, my purpose. Yeah, l- lucky group of kids there to have um, you in their corner, mate. Um, for the you know your kids, um, I guess, and and all the other juniors out there, I guess, in Australia at the moment, you know, do you have any advice for them to, to deal with any you know mental battles on court? Um, especially growing up as a, as a young junior, you know, when you're in that transition mm. period. First of all, you've got to talk, you've got to, you've got to be, there's a fine line between, um, you know, making excuses and, and actually having, having, having a problem out there. Um, so I think you've, first of all, you've got to be tough, but then if things get too tough and you feel, you feel like you're getting overwhelmed, you just need to reach out to someone um, and you need to talk to people that have, that have been through some things and, um, because uh, it's it's impo- I think it's impossible for I think some some coaches just haven't felt it. Some people don't understand anxiety. They don't understand depression. So how can they? You can't really talk to them about it because if you haven't, I, don't, I feel like if you haven't been through it yourself, you're just simply not going to understand. So you've got to talk to people who have been through it. I think that's probably the biggest thing. You've got to be tough. But if things get overwhelming, you've got to um, open up and talk to your family or, or talk to. Um, a psychologist and, and, and talk to your tennis coach because um, I, I would I mean it's it'd be you'd be a, a, a very unique person to go through life and not experience anxiety or depression at some point so I think um, reaching out and talking about it with with um, people who have been through it and um, even for myself if there are any um, young sort of tennis players who who uh, are listening to this podcast um, I've got social media I've got Facebook Instagram if you know they ever feel like they need um, to talk to someone about any of that stuff and um, I would, would always reply to their messages it's unbelievable Ben and your dedication is obviously fantastic and it's an you're amazing asset to to sport and especially the kids in Brisbane just very quickly before we wrap up after retiring, you still have played the occasional tournament on tour up until, you know, 2019. You were playing the occasional Australian Challenger mm-hmm. and Futures tournament and doing mm-hmm. quite well. I mean, you might, you went deep in some of those tournaments. <laughs> can you can you ever see yourself returning <laughs> to the tour? Yeah, it's funny because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still t- – I'm 27. I, sometimes You're I feel still like young. Sometimes I feel like I'm 40 with you know my some of the the, the life experiences I've I've been through, um, and yeah, my little girl is going to school next year, so I, it's just so bizarre. Um, life is a, is a is certainly a, a funny thing, um, but yeah, I, I I still hit the ball really well. Um, I actually probably hit like just from pure ball striking and racket face awareness levels. It's actually probably better than when I was playing. But it's more just my body. Like I, I've, I've, um, 
it's pretty crazy for the, the amount of um, work that I did. And um, it definitely, uh, you, you start feeling it. So I've got a few, I've got a couple bulging discs in my back and uh, I've got a label tear in my hip and um, uh, a few, few things, uh, a few things going on in my body that probably wouldn't allow me coming back, but I would definitely play some of these UTRs coming up. I think I, I've, I would like to get a few wins over some of these boys, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in, just actually, that's the one thing I think um, I listened to um, a part of uh, Chris O'Connell's podcast and um, he was saying how it helped his game a lot from just being strong on the tennis court and, and sort of ignoring uh, a lot of the weight work that, that some of the guys do. And I, I couldn't really, I kind of like, I agree with that so much because um, I was doing stuff like I'd never deadlifted before in my life and they wanted results in their strength testing and stuff. And I was doing 140 kilos with never, ever deadlifting um, in my life. And then the week after, I, you know, I was doing sets of six on 145 kilo deadlifts at 75 kilos um, and jump squatting crazily 120 kilos. So I think um, those type of things, I just, I, I sort of can't believe happened in a way. And I, if mm. there's if there's anything, I would I would just be having the you know obviously you want that basic strength, but you sh- I just I don't think you should be striving for any PBs. I don't think I don't think Novak has any squatting or deadlift uh, PBs in the gym. That's for sure. Um, and I don't think Rafa and Roger have PBs in the gym either. So um, I think if you look at the three best uh, players to have ever played the game, all three of them would never be striving for PBs in the gym. So I think getting strong out on the tennis court. And doing the right stretches, yoga, and those sort of things off the court is the way to go for sure. Yeah, that's it's a great point you, you bring up there, and uh, it just highlights again, you know, from your experience um, and I guess other mates' experience as well, is that tennis is an individual sport, and it's really individual um, in the player's game, their strengths, their mental ability, and and I guess training's got a tail of that too, and it's got to, I guess, training you've got to outweigh the benefits like what benefits are you getting from lifting 200 kilos mm. Uh, mm. how's that going to translate to the court um, exactly for four juniors i guess try and protect their body as well yeah Could you name the main things i guess that they should be doing um i guess through their junior years mm, yeah i mean i think uh i actually think using sort of trying to use softer strings even if um it doesn't feel as good so then they can hit more balls and protect their shoulders and, and elbows and whatnot. Um, and then uh, once they become strong enough to, to use the, the, the poly strings or the alley power or whatever, um, yeah, being aware of, of what strings you're using because if you're having elbow and arm issues, it's probably going to relate back to a racket or string. Um, but, yeah, I would just make sure that the time on court is quality because there's no – you know, you're going to just injure yourself if it's uh, three, four hours on court and you just – you're just bullshitting around. Um, and, yeah, I would I would just do the, the basics off court. You know, have the basic strengths. If you're going to do squatting, do it at 60%, 70% of, of what you're capable of and protect your, protect your spine while you're growing, protect your, you know, your joints while you're, while you're growing because um, I just see it too often. I see these guys, some of these guys smashing the weights when, you know, you, 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 <laughs> all you have to do is look at the three best players who have ever played the game and I don't think any of them have gone for PBs in 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 the gym. Um, so I would I would be I would be smashing the yoga. To be honest with you, smashing yoga. It's exactly what Novak Novak does. Um, and uh, 
and do the basic prehab, rehab type exercises, have good core, um, have good glute strength. You can do the crab walks with the bands, um, hurt, you know, the, the, the hurdles and just protecting the main muscles around, um, yeah, protecting the main muscles and not, not smashing it. Um, that would be the biggest thing in stretching. Um, and then getting strong on court, playing matches and playing matches and doing the right things off court would be, would be the way to go. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Oaks, Oaks talked about it and he, he hit the nail on the head. He was just getting injury after injury. And then he just focused on, um, getting strong on the court and forgetting about the, the, the strength side of things off the court. Cause if you're strong on the court, then why do you need, why do you need these, uh, PBs off the court? Yeah, direct directly relates to the game and that's great advice there and uh, Benny it's been great to reflect I guess on your journey so far um, 99.9% of players wouldn't experience um, some of the heights that you, you did get to um, I'm sure that you know you would have liked to have gone higher but it's been great to chat to you and you've made some great decisions as well and and uh I guess it's a bit of a celebration to chat about what you've what you've done and um, and an amazing family that you've, you're creating now. Um, so yep. we wish you all the best. Hope to see you back out there chopping up some of the boys at UTR. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks, thanks for joining us today, mate. Thanks, thanks, Ames. I appreciate it. It was good to um, it was good to talk to you. I, I yeah, I um, I haven't reflected much at all. I've sort of blocked it out um, a little bit. So it was um, good to talk to you and uh, there's probably a few more things that will pop into my head uh, after this conversation as well. And then I'd just like to add in um, just quickly, uh, like with Tennis Australia and stuff, um, they they seriously helped me out massively and there's no, um, you know, with some of the stories I said, there was was never anything um, that I wanted to sort of um, hammer down on them or anything like that. I I had great, Ben Larkham helped me out so much, Ben Mathias, Des Tyson, um, you know, when I was at AIS, it was it was an awesome time to be a part of Tennis Australia. There are just obviously certain things that um, I'd do differently. So it was, um, yeah, good to talk to you guys and um, hopefully some kids will learn a thing or two. And like I said, if there's anyone that needs to message me about, you know, mental struggles or even their games, just um, flick me a message. Hopefully this can get to the right people and, yeah, really appreciate it. No, no worries. It was good talking to you guys. Thank you for having me. Ben, thank you so much for taking out the time to join us. That is another edition of Aussies Only in the books. Be sure to go back and listen to all our previous editions of the show for more content just like this. All thanks to Latua Tennis. Once again, head over to latuatennis.com to check out their latest range. For another week, thank you for tuning in to Aussies Only. Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Aussies Only, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern. Crunching the numbers and in the huddle produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.